Well, good morning. As Arch said, my name is Bruce, I'm the executive pastor here, and it's so thankful that you all are worshiping with us today. And as Arch said, we're finishing up our series on finding purpose. And today we're going to talk about the purpose of work, the purpose of work. Next week, we're going to start a new series, our summer series called Face to Face. Pastor Tim will be back. And basically it's a series about the face-to-face encounters Jesus had in the book of John with individuals. We will unpack some of those and we'll really learn to understand a little bit more how those encounters can affect us today. So let me start with a number today. Let me start with a number, give you a number, 90,000. 90,000. That's the number of hours on average a person works in their lifetime, 90,000 hours. That's why we're talking today about the purpose of work. It's nearly a third of our lives, right? And for you guys doing the math, I'm about 75,000 hours into the 90,000 hours of work. So what is work? Work is simply anything we do for value for ourselves or others, anything we do for value for ourselves and for others. It could be paid, unpaid. It could be formal or informal. It could be seen or unseen. So for the past 37 years, or 75,000 hours, I've had work that I loved that I liked, that I tolerated, that I didn't like, and dare say some work that I hated. Maybe you can relate. And sometimes I had jobs, I think at work, that I had all of those feelings on the same day. When I had work that I loved or liked, it just felt good, right? And I could get ahead, and I could do better, and I could make more money. But when I had jobs that I didn't like or that I hated, I couldn't wait to get out of that work as fast as I could and find something else. You see, for most of us, we look at work as what it does for us. Is it meeting our needs, right? What can work do for us? Maybe that's where some of us are today. Dictionary.com defines work as exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something, labor or toil. Exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something, labor and toil. Exertion, toil, that doesn't sound appealing, does it? Who wants to exert and toil all day, all week, year in and year out. Do you ever get the Sunday scaries? The Sunday scaries is that anxiety, Sunday evening, right? It sets in right before we're thinking about work the next day. For me, the Sunday scaries used to roll around at seven o'clock when 60 minutes came on. And you see the big clock and it's tick, 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 tick. I think it was mocking me because they know the anxiety that I had 
before work on Monday. So let me give you another number. 47 million. 47 million, that's the number of people in the United States who quit their job last year. Now, it's up from 43 million who quit their job in the United States the year before, and right now we're on pace to have 50 million people quit their job this year. So why do they quit? Why do we quit? Why have we quit? People quit for a number of reasons, right? They want more recognition. Maybe they want more development. Maybe they want to work from home and not go back in the office, right? Maybe they quit for more money. A lot of times people quit because they're looking for more happiness, for more meaning, for that sense of purpose. But something also is happening. I read a recent study that said last year of those 47 million people that quit their jobs, nearly 75% of those had buyer's remorse, right? They took a job that turned out to be something different than they thought, and it wasn't giving them the purpose, the satisfaction, the happiness that they expected. Because no matter how good or how bad work is for us, it's still work, right? Exertion, toil. So work isn't working for many of us today, but I would say work really hasn't been working for most of us for a while, right? Probably two or three, maybe four decades ago, there were songs out. Maybe you know these. Everybody's working for the weekend. Working nine to five. She works hard for the money. And my favorite, take this job and shove it. Right? No, I've not found anywhere a song that says, I love my job and I can't wait to go to work. Can't find it. There's also sayings, right? TJAF, thank God it's Friday. You ever hear anybody say TGIM? No, thank God it's Monday, right? So work hasn't been working for a while, but really work hasn't been working for a long time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes nearly 3,000 years ago, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I'd labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing gained under the sun. So the way Solomon felt about work 3,000 years ago is the way many of us feel about work today. Futile, a chasing of the wind. So fortunately or unfortunately, depending where you are, work is where most of us spend our lifetime. We just talked about it. A third of our life, 90,000 hours. That's why we're trying to find out what is that purpose of work. Some of us live to work, some of us work to live. Most of us want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Most of us want a significant work, a purpose in our lives from work, but that rarely happens, right? We want our work to work, but how? That's a question I asked myself continually years ago. 
regardless of how much I liked work or how much I didn't like work, much of the time my work left me drained and empty. You see, work wasn't working for me the way God intended. So the takeaway today, my takeaway is work works when we connect our faith and work. Work works when we connect our faith and work. The word work appears in scripture, scripture over 5, 500 times. We see many, many characters and people in the Bible that work. Interesting too that many of Jesus' parables revolve around work. We see God working in the very first verse of the first book, chapter of the first book of the Bible, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. The story begins with God creating the world and then creating man and woman in his own image. And then he created man and woman to work. We see in Genesis chapters one and two, it says God blessed them, man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And then uh, in Genesis two, it says the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work and watch over it, to work and watch over it. So you see, God created work before the fall. So it was good, right? But once sin entered the world, work became hard. Genesis three, it says, and he said to Adam, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. So notice that it's not work that's cursed, it's the ground that's cursed, right? So work is not a reserve of the fall, it's just made harder by the fall. Just like about everything else in life is, right? That's why we experience painful labor and toil and exertion in our work. And though work is hard, right? God cares about our work. It's just that sometimes we have a difficulty in trying to figure out how to connect that faith and work. We think worship is something we do on Sunday and work is what we do throughout the rest of the week. That's how I used to work, look at it. Monday, Sunday, right? But it wasn't until a few years ago that I kind of started putting some things together that if God didn't separate Sunday and Monday, the sacred and the secular, then why should I, right? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Whatever you do, whatever we do, includes our work. There's an interesting word in the Hebrew called avada. Avada means work 
worship and service. Same root word, Ovid. Work, worship, and service. Throughout the Old Testament, that variations of that word come up about a thousand times. Avodah suggests that the purpose of our work is to worship God and to serve others, right? But we see that same purpose in the great commandment, love the Lord with God with all your heart, with all the soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God, love your neighbor. It's kind of what Avodah says, right? Worship God, serve those we work with. So the first purpose of work that we wanna look at today is work is worship. Work is worship. Not as in worshiping our work, as some people say, and as, as I've been uh, called out for in the past, but worshiping God through our work. I mean, have you ever thought you could worship God through your work the same way that you worship God through singing or praising? or giving, we should use the talents and skills that God gave us to worship him, not just on Sunday, but through the rest of the week. You see, no job is too plain or too, um, too plain or just too simple to do because it's all done for God and it's done for God's glory. It's the motivation behind the work that makes the difference. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. There, there, there it is again, right? Whatever we do includes our work. This is interesting. Earlier this year, some of you might have seen a guy named Scotty Scheffler won the Masters golf tournament. And he was asked about the victory, and this is what he said about he and his wife about a conversation they had in the morning before that. He starts off when he's talking to them, he says, the reason why I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity is not my golf score. Like Meredith, his wife told him that morning, the morning of the final round, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose the golf tournament by 10 points, 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, she says, I'm still gonna love you. You're still gonna be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. And then he ends this press conference with, all I'm trying to do is glorify God and that's why I'm here and that's why I'm in this position. So that's what work is worship look like to Scotty Shuffler. Here's another example. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. If you haven't, you should rent it today. Eric Little, one of the main characters, was born uh, to a missionary family in China, and then ultimately that's what he was going to do with his life. But he also qualified for the 1924 Paris Olympics, and in one scene, he's talking with his sister, and he says... Um, that he's going to return to the mission work in China, but first he must honor God, worship God by running in the Olympics, right? And he says, and it's one of the main lines, I think, in the movie, he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. 
And when I f- run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. That's what work is worship felt like to, to Eric Little. So you ask, what might worship look like or feel like to you? So here's something I thought of. So imagine yourself as a child, right? Holding up a picture, handiwork, right? To your mom or dad when you're little, right? Handing that. that I didn't draw that, but that's something that somebody would draw as a kid, right? And as a kid, you ask your mom or dad, you say something like, is this good? Do you like it? I think that's what God wants when we hand our work to him and say, God, is it good? Do you like it? And he says, of course I like it. Your work reflects my glory. That's why I created you to work. It's very good. I think that's the way work should feel as worship for us. Now, some of you may be saying, you know, Bruce, that's easy for you. You're an executive pastor. You work at a church. You're always worshiping God with your work. Newsflash, not always. In fact, there's probably more times I forget to worship God with my work here at the church. No different than in the business world, right? So it's not really a position that I have that I should uh, be worshiping God through my work or not. It's my heart attitude, right? It's, it's a heart issue. Am I doing things to glorify God, my work, or am I doing it to glorify me? I need to remember that my work, just like Scotty Scheffler's, just like Eric Little, reflects his glory and my work is good. So the first purpose of work is worship. Let's look at the second uh, purpose of work, service. The second purpose of work is service. As Christians, we can't say that we're seeking to love our neighbor as ourselves and do work with mediocrity. Can't do it. We need to do work that truly benefits those around us, those we work with, right? Rather, we need to go the extra mile, give it 110%, rather doing just the minimum work necessary. Again, Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, he says, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward, the inheritance from the Lord, for you serve the Lord Christ. There it is again, whatever we do includes our work. Excellence must be the most fundamental form of our work, not just for personal gain, but for gain of others. I love this quote by Tim Keller. It says, imagine that everyone quits working right now, right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away, food vanishes from the shelves, gas dries up at the pump, streets are no longer patrolled, and fire burns themselves out. Communication and transportation services end, and utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon to be huddled around campfires, sleep in caves, and are clothed in animal skins. The difference between a wilderness and a culture is work. The difference between a wilderness and a culture is work. Kind of feels like that's where our world's headed today, doesn't it? 
right? We don't have uh, food vanishing off the shelves, services suffering, supply and demand issues, just disruptive. Let me give you a real world, real time example. Peter Greer, CEO of Hope International, shares how everyday work can be a powerful source of light and hope in the midst of unfathomable darkness. And he goes on to say, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. Its abundant harvests feed people throughout Eastern Europe and beyond. Many of the workers have had to determine whether to leave their jobs and homes and businesses to move west. For greenhouse farmers, this would mean abandoning their already planted crops. And for those who farm in open fields, this is the time to plant. If farmers wait to see the war's outcome, they will miss the window to yield a successful harvest. But if they plant now with the outcome of the war still unknown, occupying Russian forces might seize them, seize their harvest. I love this, yet many are choosing to plant. Many are choosing to plant. They know that without their crops, Ukraine will face a food crisis, unleashing a hurricane of hunger that will add to the war's casualties. As they sow their fields, some farmers bear Ukrainian flags on their tractors. They're sending a strong message and clear message to Russia forces that they predict an end to this war as they toil on their land for their people. Choosing to plant is a defiant sign of hope. Choosing to plant. So where are you planting? Better, wet, better yet, where are you planting hope? No matter how insignificant or mundane you feel your work is today, you have an opportunity to work with excellence and in doing so, you have a, can have a profound effect on your coworkers, your organization, and the world around you. So our per, first purpose of work is worship. The second purpose of work is service. The final purpose I wanna talk about today is your ability to be salt and light. Your ability to be salt and light through your work. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all of those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt does a lot of things, but one of the things it does is it enhances taste, right? We can enhance the world around us by making it better for those we work with. We can also be light in a dark world for those that we work with. Why? So that they, our coworkers, may see our good works, more importantly, give God the glory. 
A few years back, I asked one of my coworkers how she was doing. And she said, fine. But she didn't seem fine, so as I normally do, I follow up with, really? She admitted she wasn't doing fine, said she was having some issues with her son that was putting some strain on her marriage. Now, I had no idea about her faith background, but I knew she was hurting. So I said to her, could I pray for you? She was quick to say yes. And then the cool thing is that I prayed for her right over the phone. And it opened up future conversations we had about faith. I didn't consider myself a pastor or a missionary, but I did think how could I be salt and light in this situation? At a recent conference I attended, uh, uh, one of the leaders from Chick-fil-A spoke and he said, how can we change the world? How can you change the world? And then he said something that kind of arrested me, but I'm like, well, that's right. But then how do I do it? It was, it starts with those people three feet around you, just the people right around you. Those are the people right next to you where you work. Who has God put three feet around you? How can you be salt and light where you work? You know, besides being the executive pastor here at the Ridge, I get to coach and consult for an organization called Convene. It's where I get to help Christian CEOs and business owners and leaders unpack this faith and work and help them use their organization as a ministry. I asked each of them a few weeks back, what do you see as the purpose for work? They used words like helping, contributing, serving, enriching, redeeming. They also used words like mission and ministry and kingdom impact. But more than words, what I get to witness with these organizations that I work with is that they also live out their faith through their organization. How do they do this? Many of them pray for their patients before they see them every day by name. Some of them hire who Jesus calls the least of these to their organization so that they can give them hope. And then they're able to talk about Jesus. And most all of them use their prophets generously to meet the people's needs and bless those in their community. They are using their organization and they see the purpose of work as really to worship God, serve others and be salt and light. So as we wrap up our time today, how do you view your work? Again, whatever you do, whether it's paid or unpaid, seen or unseen, unseen formal or informal, do you see your work the way God does, as good? Or do you see it more as the world does, right? Futility, labor, exertion. Maybe instead of focusing on the great resignation, we could look at this as God does, as a great opportunity, a great opportunity to worship God, serve others, be salt and light to those we work with. 
Now, I know some of you may be thinking, that's great, Bruce, but you don't understand where I work. You don't understand how horrible my job is. You don't understand what I got to do all day. And to that, I would say, you're right. I don't get it. But you know what? God does. God understands exactly what you're going through every day. He sees you and he's with you. Your work matters to God because you matter to God. So by way of application, here's a couple things to think about as we close. Some ways that you can start to look at your purpose of work. First, thank God for your work and where he has you. I know that might be hard. That might be the only thing you can do. Just thank him. Thank him that you've got work to do and while you're there, where he's got you. Second, do your best work. Do work with excellence. People will notice that and they'll ask you why. You'll have an opportunity to tell them why you work with excellence. Third, pray for those three feet around you. Pray for those you come in contact with every day. Pray for them by name and watch what God does. Fourth, then look for ways to be salt and light where you are. Just right where you are. You've got that opportunity. And finally, if you uh, own a business or you're in a leadership position, look for ways to bless your employees, your patients, your clients, and the community. You can also check out our prayer plan this month for June coming up. It's gonna be all about work. And also we will be having this summer uh, some classes, uh, six-week class on this work and worship and how to put it together more details to that will follow. So at the beginning of this series, we introduced a song called Canvas and Clay, and I can't think of a better song to end with. I love these lines, especially, you make all things work together for my future and my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. God is working in our lives he cares about our work. He cares about us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can use our work to worship you and to serve others. Thank you that we can be salt and light through our work. And thank you that our work works when we connect our faith and work. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.